Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the post-Detroit Rapture sharing socks. I am uh, duty geezer Lee Allen, and with me, my son and West Coast correspondent, Will. And we will probably wallow in the wonderfulness of beating the Tigers, even though many a high school team could do that, uh, and get into what comes up next, which is a little bit (laughs) rougher uh, for the next week. If they come through the next week, well, then... Yay. <laughs> Things are good. <laughs> Meanwhile, though, Will on Wednesday shot a movie scene. We can say the movie, right? It's, uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, a movie called Unfrosted. It's an Netflix film. It's Jerry Seinfeld co-wrote, is producing, directing, co-starring in, and has this incredible cast of every comic you know of, stand-up or comic actor. And Will got to shoot a scene with all of these people on Wednesday. And two of the ones we knew were going to be in that scene are Chicagoans. I guess there were more Chicagoans, but two I knew were Chicagoans, uh, Jim Gaffigan and Melissa McCarthy. And Jim Gaffigan, on one list, I I went to celebrities, White Sox fans. And the first list I saw went Barack Obama, Michael Jordan, Jim Gaffigan. Yes! So I kidding, kiddingly said to Will, uh, see if you can get Jim on the show. And then I looked up and Melissa McCarthy actually shot part of a movie in the cell uh, seven or eight years ago. Her sister is a famous White Sox fan, Jenny McCarthy. I don't know if she is or I didn't know because she was throughout first pitch for the Dodgers and stuff. Yeah, I can't throw out first pitch for the White Sox. So I, I said, get him on the show. So obviously you didn't really try to do that, but the Sox 
did come up. Yeah, it's a 13, 14 hour day. There's a lot of, you're shooting one scene. There's a lot of off time. <laughs> so it's time to shoot the bull. And you got to shoot the bull with a little bit, with both Jim Gaffigan and Melissa McCarthy, which had to be really cool. Um, and what happened with the White Sox end of it? Well, uh, some good and some bad. Uh, the, the first being with Gaffigan, uh, he kind of denied being a White Sox fan. Now, he didn't fully deny it, uh, but he did say that as a Northwest Indiana person, he actually didn't really have much skin in the game. He he said that people get really intense about which team you follow once you're in Illinois, uh, but they in Northwest Indiana, they tend to, to kind of be a little wishy-washy and go with whoever's good at the time. Now, it did sound like he's far more of a White Sox fan than a Cubs fan. Thank uh, God. But... Uh, yeah, it wasn't clear. It certainly wasn't clear enough to put him third on a list behind Barack Obama and Michael Jordan. Uh, that being said, he was he was definitely pro White Sox. Um, Melissa was more interesting because, as you mentioned before, she filmed that movie. And by the way, these both of these people are very very nice. Um, she filmed this movie at the cell, and they tried to get Wrigley for that movie. And because, you know, it's it's a movie. Wrigley looks good uh, in movies. Sure. Better and, than The Cell. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So she wanted to shoot it at Wrigley. She said the Cubs were just unbelievably unaccommodating and, you know, not helpful, not nice, not whatever. And, you know, if you're dealing with Melissa McCarthy, who is known for being one of the nicest people in the business, um, that's a that's a bad that's a bad move. Uh, and she said that. And I loved this. The White Sox greeted us with open arms. They rolled out the red carpet. They were so excited. We even wanted to be there. Everyone was so nice. And they had a great time shooting. And that, I was like, that is the difference between the two teams. That is, that is what, that is all you need to know. That is the difference between those two organizations. Um, it did turn out, though, that she is actually now a Phillies fan because of her husband. Uh, uh, but her dad is from the south side of Chicago, uh, so he remains a pretty loyal White Sox fan. And uh, well, she actually grew up in the city. She was born in Plainfield, but I, I think maybe she grew up in the city itself. It sounded like it. Uh, I didn't. I didn't dive that that far into it. But her dad still lives on the south side of Chicago, so uh, there is there's definitely fandom there, and she. Uh, she was very much more pro White Sox than Cubs, but did admit to being a Phillies fan, which I said did not line up with her personality at all. <laughs> I was like, I can tell you right now without meeting any other Phillies fans that you are the nicest Phillies fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were both great. They were fun to to talk baseball with. Obviously, when you're in a room full of comedians, not a ton of people want to talk about baseball, uh, so so I chose wisely. Uh, but I will say another thing that was very cool is everyone loved Chicago so much. Like the moment they found out I was from Chicago, did the Chicago thing, everyone wants to talk to you about Chicago. They all love Chicago so much, Chicago being like the improv capital of the world. And when you're dealing with Melissa and Jim and Jack McBray or Bobby Moynihan, Thomas Lennon, those are improv gods. Uh, so it was it was very, very cool. Uh, I wish I'd gotten a little more Sox enthusiasm, but 
you take what you can get. <laughs> well, I know you had a great day. You when you when you called us uh, on your on your way home, it's like you were five hundred feet in the air about what an incredible day you had. Yeah, I, I came home and you know you're in a you're in a huge movie scene and you're the only not super famous person in it, uh, which is a weird experience. It's pretty crazy. And I just told Bryce, I was like, Bryce, my wife, for those who are listening, I said, you know, uh, I'm not positive I'm alive right now. (laughs) I was driving home thinking, what if I'm dead? What if I'm dead? And then I thought, you know, if this is how it is, this is awesome. So whatever. Um, But yeah, so enough about that. Enough about that. All right. White Sox destroyed the, the Tigers, which everybody pretty much is doing anymore. Tigers, I just saw something, uh, I think in Fangraphs, are in line to be perhaps the worst hitting team ever or in the last 100 years. They um, certainly look like it's a goal of theirs. Yes, they're, 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 out, they're out to get that way. And while their pitching numbers are not bad, most of that was before they lost four of their five starting pitchers. They've only got one left, and we didn't face them, schoolball. Um, so they're, they're, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to beat anybody the rest of the year, but it was nice to get really good momentum like that going into what's going to be a very rough week. Uh, We're recording this Friday afternoon before the Houston series starts, uh, going to Houston and then hosting Toronto, but that's a little more of a challenge than Texas and Detroit. And if Sox can come through with this one, maybe I would say three and three is not bad. Four and two would be terrific. Uh, well, I mean, so so we're going to Houston, right? And then, yes. uh, I'm sorry, and I didn't check. Home to Toronto. Home to Toronto. So, I, I mean, in, in my opinion, three and three in that scenario is great. You know, that's yeah, I think so. That's really all you are need to do. Um, you just really want to stay away from the zero and six and one and five. Um, the two and four is not ideal, but if you can split on those two teams, especially with three of them being on the road in Houston, uh, that's, I mean, that's a great week if we have that week coming up. I can't say I feel confident we're going to have that week. Uh, But that being said, we did get some really good BP in this week against the Tigers. Um, We we last week. The big hope, of course, the big surprise, uh, which leads to a huge hope, was Juan Moncada who went five for five on Thursday. Yes, two of those were against 40-mile-an-hour uh, pitches by, from uh, position players. But the other three, a home or a double and a single, all well hit. I mean, it wasn't, oh, look, a little one dropped in. The question has been, and we got to hope that he can continue with, with you on his spin, since he had COVID. And neither one of us knows a damn thing about medicine, but it kind of has kind of looks to the layman like long-term COVID has is, is entered or did enter into play here. He has had some good days, and they're usually followed by some bad days just because he doesn't have the strength. I mean, it's not a, a knock on your wand. It's just not there. Uh, so it'll be good to see if he can continue uh, his activities uh, the way they were on, on Thursday. That was, that was marvelous spot five for five. Yeah. I think, I'll, I think I actually ended up being five for six, but oh, either yeah. way, either way, um, uh, you know, I'm a huge Moncada guy and I, I 
have been since we got him. Like he has just been one of my favorite players. I spend so much time defending him. Uh, this year, it has been extremely hard to put up that argument. Uh, I know with my friend, my uh, other Southside Sox uh, buddies on our, our text thread, Bill Mankey and Rob Coletti, you know, I even conceded last week that maybe this is it. Maybe this is it for Moncada. And, and maybe it's the COVID thing. Maybe it's a disinterest thing. Uh, preferring to be a pop star that of course it's all speculation we know nothing about what he's actually thinking <laughs> and feeling but yesterday was and as you said a couple of those at bats don't super count however when you are a guy who is just hitting nothing even getting the EFIS pitches and doing something with them does matter uh, because getting dinky outs off EFIS pitches destroys your confidence more than anything else. Did you watch the game? Did you have a chance to watch the game yesterday? I did not get to watch it, no. <laughs> Fascinating thing. I worked it, so I had all kinds of, of paying all kinds of attention to it. And, and you had to find special things to pay attention to once they were ready at 10 runs. When the position players came in, you know how on the, on the scoreboard, they now say, they don't just say 93 miles an hour or 89 miles an hour. They go, Four-seam fastball, slider, and they were caught. I don't know if they were just having fun or if the computer decided on it, but there'd be slider, 47 miles an hour, curveball, 46 miles an hour. I mean, to I be think fair. They were probably just having fun. To be fair, if you're throwing 47 miles an hour, that thing has a 12-6 drop on it. You know? <laughs> it as does. a as, Currently, as a, uh, a high-level slow-pitch softball player, I, I can tell you, we got no problem with that 12-6 drop. That is that is good. The slider is uh, something I definitely question a little bit. You don't see a ton of movement from anything that's moving 47 miles per hour. Um, but, yeah, seeing Moncada unleash off of a couple, let's call them high AAA pitchers, uh, was great. And I've kind of been saying for weeks that Yohan needs to go to Charlotte and he needs to work on the swing and get his confidence back up and, and try to get the oxygen pumping in those legs again. And fortunately for us, the Tigers brought their version of Charlotte to Detroit and he got to have AAA baseball practice this week and he made good use of it. Uh, I'm, I'm ecstatic that he showed some signs of life. Again, as we've said, tonight is a totally different ballgame. Tonight will be interesting. The pitching matchups, tonight is uh, Framber Valdez against Lucas Giolito. Lucas has not been sharp uh, recently, I mean, for Lucas. I mean, he's been fine as above-average pitcher. but And it looks to me like it's the changeup that is the problem. It doesn't seem to be moving. People are able to lay off it. Uh, they're not being fooled by it as they have been for years. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Valdez is having a very good year, but he's a lefty. And he does not have historical success against the White Sox at all, including giving up four runs in four plus in the playoffs last year. And then being a Houston win because he won nine to five. But he, he doesn't pitch well against White Sox historically. Now he's having a better year than any of his previous years. So it may be that. He's just better. He's got a new pitch. It's change up better, whatever it may be. But that's 
an interesting matchup on Friday night. Saturday and afternoon game, this is the one where you kind of go, well, if we win this one, then our whole season is back. <laughs> because it's Johnny Cueto, who's been fine against Justin Verlander, who has been absolutely devastating. And then Sunday, uh, Christian Javier, who's been very good, but not in the same vein as, obviously, it's Verlander, against Unknown. And Unknown is because they think Michael Kopech will be ready to go off his uh, knee injury from a week ago. But he may not be. But I guess they're waiting till the last minute to see whether uh, that'll work out. But that's an interesting series to have in Houston. Houston, you know, has a batting average now that the White Sox batting average went up 40 points or whatever it did the last <laughs> three, four or five days. Um, they're at about the same level. I think they're one spot ahead of, of the Sox as far as batting average goes. Um, their pitching is, boy, their pitching is much, much better. They, they are the third best at not giving up runs, which is what it's all about. Um, just behind the Dodgers and the Yankees. That's pretty tough company on the pitching side, even though their FIP is seventh. And the reason for that matchup, best defense in baseball. Mm. And the White Sox, of course, have the worst. So that's going to be something to watch is how the fielding is. Now, they are missing Jake Myers, who was their outstanding center fielder. They are missing Jerome Pena, who took uh, Carlos Correa's place and has been just brilliant at shortstop. Uh, so probably they have the advantage. I mean, we have the advantage on who's out on the injured list um, in the Houston series because of uh, which is issues. almost never the case for. And us. they're also they're also missing two starters, including a brilliant one, Lance McCullers Jr. and Jake Odorizzi, who's pretty good and yeah. been having a good year. Well, let's take a let's take a quick break right here, and then let's come back and and keep talking about this because uh, I th- I think we still need to talk about one the defense and our defensive woes, and we need to talk about in my opinion our, our still absolutely abysmal handling of starting pitchers. Uh, I hate to harp on this almost every week, but it just seems to get worse. Um, and we we did have our our Lance Lynn debut. Uh, over this past week as well. Um, so we should talk about what it was like seeing Lance come back. But uh, we'll do oh, it's, that. It's not like before, before we break on this, because we're talking the Houston series, you notice Lance is not pitching. He would he would be scheduled to pitch Saturday or Sunday. He is not pitching. That's because he cannot get an Astro out to save his life. Uh, so this is, we got to give credit. I mean, we, we jump on the Hall of Fame baseball person enough, give him credit for taking Lance out and putting him in on Monday against Toronto. Tough team, but not a team that he just absolutely gets devastated by every time. And I will come back and argue with you about that uh, <laughs> right after this break. We'll be right back on Sharing Socks. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Sharing Socks. We were talking about the Houston series. You mentioned right before the break that Lance Lynn uh, is not going to pitch, even though he would have been scheduled to pitch. 
Uh, we saw him come out and throw uh, 80 something pitches, I think, his first time out. Yeah, not particularly well. Not particularly well, but not so bad that it seems like Lance Lynn been pitching all not going to be yeah. Lance Lynn. Um, yeah. You, though, however, just made a, a grave mistake, which was crediting the Hall of Famer baseball person with anything. Uh, and in this scenario, you're crediting him with not throwing Lance Lynn against the Astros, who tend to feast on Lance Lynn. It could be that that's a great decision and that Tony, like, really finally did something right. Or it could be that they brought out a guy who hasn't pitched all year and made him throw 90 pitches his first time out like lunatics so that he can't throw well this quickly. I mean, that's very possible. What the heck were they doing? Having him throw that deep into the game. Well, not even deep into the game because White Sox starters don't throw deep into games. They, they're they always out by the fifth inning with 125 pitches in inning. And, and that's something I, I, I still want to talk about because I do not think we can be a contender with the absolute lack of efficiency from our starters. And I realize that the game has changed and starters aren't necessarily expected to go the distance. They still talk about wanting to go the distance. But we don't have starters that comfortably get into the second half of a baseball game. I mean, we're supposed to have this great rotation. You know, Giolito's obviously not up to snuff. You mentioned before the changeup's not working. Well, if the changeup's not working, Giolito's not working. Uh, We also have Dylan Cease, who seems to throw 30 to... 80 pitches an inning. Uh, Kopech has been sort of our most efficient, but also has made it to the seventh once. Um, Maybe not even to the seventh, but made it through six, which at the time was the longest start of the season for the White Sox, which is just, I can't even wrap my head around it. And I argue with Bob, uh, not with Bob, with Bill and Rob uh, about this a lot. and, And I just, I think it's a joke. And I even say I'm I'm losing my faith in Ethan Katz because of this. They're very much on the on the train of fire everybody but Ethan Katz. And I would say that I'm still I'm I'm on that same train. I'm I am also on that train. Um because obviously I think a lot of what Ethan Katz is doing is going to be derailed by the Hall of Famer baseball person. Um, you know, Ethan Katz isn't the one pulling guys out of games. He he could be suggesting that these guys come out or, or you know, he he could be saying, please, for the love of God, Tony, don't put Bennett Souza in this game. And, and Tony's going to do whatever the hell Tony wants to do. But at what point do we have to examine what Katz is not getting from these starters, which is any form of command? that allows them to pitch deeper in games. And yes, we talk about the throwing motions and how they've improved the throwing motions and made these guys, you know, a little sharper on the mound, some cases a lot sharper on the mound. But is it actually a successful throwing motion if it's if you have almost no command and have to leave the game after four innings? Is that to that to me is not a healthy repeatable motion of any value whatsoever. And and I get that they, they strike out a decent amount of guys in these four innings, 
but what good are you as a starter in professional baseball if we need to expect that you're going to be gone after four and a third? I mean, we our, our starting pitchers, we're lucky if we ever get a quality start. Uh, it's it's absolutely insane how inefficient and and commandless these pitchers are. What do you have any idea why this isn't improving at all as we get this far? Obviously, early in the season, you think, okay, you don't want to throw a guy more than four or five right away, especially with the shortened spring training. You want to be safer about that. But the issue also isn't innings; it's number of pitches. And it's not like we've been really conserving these guys at all in terms of number of pitches. They're just throwing 110 pitches in four innings, which is pathetic. I mean, it it is absolutely pathetic. This should be an elite rotation. We're going to be going up against teams whose starters can go into the sixth and seventh. Well, our bullpen is not good enough to throw five innings every day for the rest of this season. Going up against a starter on Saturday, you can go 12. Exactly. And, and, and it's not overpowering and he still strikes people out. Do you have any idea what the heck is going on that we just keep sending guys out there and, and does, every single batter goes seems to a like three, two an count. amazing number, <clears throat> excuse me, of three, two counts. I, I, you get the feeling they're trying to pitch too fine. It's not that they don't have, I mean, there may be a given day when they don't have command, but most days, they mostly have as good command as any other starting rotation is going to have. There'll be some exceptions there, but that, that most they're, they're as good as anybody, but it's just like, well, we need to throw this one off the plate and that one off the plate. The next thing you know, it's three and two. Uh, so who's and, doing that? Who's, who is the person who's saying, who's, who's saying like, this one needs to be off the plate. This one needs to be off the plate. This, because it, I would think the pitching coach, would be like throw more strikes. <laughs> I mean, it, this whole three-two thing. It, as a former pitcher, I never wanted anyone ever to get to three-two because then they they have the upper hand at three and two. The batter does. So I don't understand how we're not throwing more pitches over the plate, and that's why I say lack of command. So is the is the issue that we are intentionally throwing everything off the plate? Or is the issue that he wants these things on the corners and our guys can't hit the corners? Because these these three two counts, I mean, when you're throwing twenty, twenty-five pitches every inning as a starter, I mean, that's not good baseball. That's not good pitching. I don't care if you strike out fourteen guys in in those first four innings. It's not good pitching. It's not good baseball. And they're also giving up runs in that time. So it's not even like oh, well, they throw a lot of pitches, but they've got an ERA under two, uh, with the exception of Kopech, who, who has been throwing well, except he stepped on a pebble or something and got hurt like every other player on our team gets hurt these days. Um, it, it's just it's baffling to me. It's truly baffling to me that this is not something that people talk more about. It is truly, truly a pathetic rotation right now in terms of actually helping this team make it through a ball game and win. What's to be done? 
that's that's let the record show uh let the record show he shook his head and and i don't know um as that, a, is, that, is, that is the record may show it speak to the microphone yes uh no no idea that obviously we're exaggerating on the numbers but not that much but we're not uh, exaggerating by they, that they much. were the the least efficient staff and we're talking efficiency pitches per inning of any starting staff in baseball last year in their majors last year uh I have not looked at the figures this year, but I would not be surprised to see it's the exact same situation. Uh, it just is, why don't they just come at people? I mean, you've got Dylan Cease, who's got, as everybody in baseball will say, incredible stuff. And yet he'll come at people for a while, for a while, for a while. And then somebody gets a hit off a good pitch and, and he gets shaken up and then he doesn't come at him anymore. He, he He's, throwing off, usually off to his glove side. Um, I don't know. Uh, Kopech, I think, has been great. Uh, Kopech has been great. Game, but that's going to happen. Uh, and, and Lucas, I think because the change is not breaking the way it has broken in the last years. I mean, and this is just an eyeball thing, but it doesn't seem to be breaking that much or that late or that quickly. Uh, he's just getting a lot of foul balls where he used to get swinging strikes. Yeah. And that extends at bats. You get a lot of foul balls. It just drags things out. Um, Cueto is not an overpowering pitcher. Uh, I guess he never was, really, and he certainly isn't now. Uh, so he gets a lot of foul balls. Uh, I say he's been – if I got to give Recon credit for something this year that he did, it was picking up Johnny Cueto on the first day of the regular season. That was amazing. That he was yeah, that, that was really him. smart, and I'm I'm glad he did pick up Cueto because I do think um, Cueto is a valuable person to have on this team. Uh, Lynn, of course, is just now back. Uh, but they already overpitched him. He was already inefficient, and they already overpitched him. I mean, why did Lance Lynn throw more than 50 pitches? It, it makes no sense to me. It, the management of this team is embarrassing. It's pathetic. There, I am now an absolute firm believer that we cannot win in the playoffs with Tony La Russa. There is just no way. There's no way. All the off-the-field distractions aside, which I think actually don't matter as much because our players can keep their heads on, but I just don't see a world where any of this style of management pays off, which brings us to the next thing, which is one of the most laughable defenses you'll see. And as, as Bill and Rob pointed out, that does extend pitch count, total pitch counts Absolutely. quite a bit. It does. All that should have been caught falls in. But the other and thing, keeps going. the other thing that's a problem is they're getting to three, two, the guy is hitting the ball that should have been caught. And then on the next batter, they're going to three, two, and then they're going to three, two, and then they're going to three and two. I mean, they're not helping themselves at all. I, I just, it, it's so frustrating to watch this complete, complete tomfoolery of coaching and management. I mean, this is a major league baseball team, and we sit and watch every ball that goes into play, wondering if anybody's going to catch it. <laughs> Well, we have somebody back who, who usually catches it, even though he had a horrible string uh, earlier in the spring. Tim Anderson should be back next week. 
And as best I can figure out, nobody will go down because of that or no position player will because the deadline for cutting from 14 pitchers to 13 is Sunday. The announcers were talking some about it's going to get extended again, or they think it'll be, but there has been no indication from the commissioner's office that's going to happen. So we already have 13 position players. Uh, Correct. I mean, we, have 12, yeah. we have 12 position players and bring Tim back into 13. So a reliever will go down, relievers go down and come back just on a regular frequent flyer basis. And let's uh, let's just give some some love to this uh, turnaround on. I know no one cares about batting averages anymore, but me. Um, but you know, I'm just going to go from the top. Obviously, Tim's out, but he's hitting 356. We've got Vaughn up to 315 right now. We've got Mendick at 288, Robert at 283, Berger at 273, Jose Abreu at 272, Pollock at 262. It drops off after that, but honestly, Reese McGuire hitting 236 is a place that I'm fine with. Uh, Adam Engel is is he's a little disappointing thus far, but you know, uh, it's not necessarily that we expect him to hit that well. 226 feels a little low. Yeah, um, he's he's the one that's been going backwards. Pollock's 236, for example. I mean, he was hitting 180 for a long time, so he's he's been hitting really well lately. Those are numbers that, if your pitchers are efficient and your defense catches the ball, should make you a an extremely hard team to beat. I mean, those averages are, are pretty sexy going down the line. That it took until the ninth batter for me to be disappointed in a batting average. That's very different from where we were two weeks ago. We're still absolutely abysmal in strikeouts to walks. Uh, you know, you've got... Uh, and that's... Then they're not striking out a lot. It's the walks no, thing. The it's, only, it's the, the only team anywhere close to them, and they've been going back and forth, depending on what happened to what team and what day, is the Tigers. And the Tigers, right. as we discussed way back at the beginning, are the worst hitting team in the last 70 or 80 years. We've got one guy who walks. That's Jose. He's got 42 strikeouts. Thirty well, Grandall when he's around. Yeah, I, I, I'm talking about uh, uh, well, yeah, here's Grandall. Grandall's all the way down at 185. So yeah, he he walks a lot too. He's at 45 strikeouts and 27 walks, which is certainly something you can you can live with. But you know, Luis Robert, 38 strikeouts and only eight walks. Jake Berger, 42 strikeouts, only nine walks. You got Adam Angle at 39 strikeouts and only eight walks. Pollock that's, that's seven and eight. I mean, that is – Lurie Garcia, I think, is the the number one example of just being absolutely pathetic. Lurie is at 36 strikeouts and two walks. And what's he hitting? He is hitting 199. I mean, come on. How, how can you – that that right there, hitting coach, fired. You have to fire your hitting coach because our guys can swing the bat. They know how to swing the bat. They don't really even need the hitting coach to teach them how to swing the bat. They have no plate discipline whatsoever. And and again, they're not striking out in, in, in astronomical numbers, but they've certainly, certainly had more opportunities to walk than what those numbers <laughs> represent i mean that is really terrible and that's even though jose has been phenomenal 
I forget what his ratio is. His ratio on three, two counts is like something. And these numbers oh, yeah. will be wrong, but it's like 25 walks and two strikeouts on three, two counts. It's, it's just incredible. And actually, I think it's, I think it's now higher on walks than that. And just like ticking one up on strikeouts. So that, that on three, two counts, that seemed better. He's at 33 walks and 42 strikeouts. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a, a great ratio, you know, for, especially for a, a big guy and a, a power hitter to have 42 and 33. Oh, and, and none of those are going to be intentional, really, because not many people are pitching around Jose Abreu still. Um, I mean, that's an incredible ratio. And he's one of the few guys that has a hundred or more gap between batting average and on base percentage. And that's exactly why. And that is the kind of gap you should have. Your, your on base percentage should be significantly higher than your batting average. That is not the case for most of this team. That is the case for Jose. Also, obviously the case for Grandall, because if you don't ever get hits, uh, your on base percentage is going to be a lot higher if you walk. Uh, which he does, but we are we are running out of time today. Is there anything else you wanted to to touch on before we head into these these big six games ahead of us this week? Yeah, it's gonna it's going to be an interesting week. I did. It's uh, you know the schedule gets much easier after this week, but it's going to be a good week to see show your metal, as we say. What's your prediction? What what would be your prediction if you had to guess? Three and three. Three and three? I think we are also going to go three and three. However, I think we are going to lose all three to Houston because their starters can go so much farther into games than ours. <laughs> and then I think we'll beat Toronto for all three at home as a sort of uh, making up for the humiliation we faced in Houston. Uh, but until our starters can get it together and our coaching staff can do something positive, I'm, I'm not even sure we're going to squeak out that three and three. But let's hope we do. Let's stay positive. This last week was a very good week for us against terrible teams. Well, not very good. The Texas stuff. The Texas series was not good. <laughs> the Texas stuff was almost as bad as it gets. Uh, we pulled out one win against them. But uh, those extra inning losses were absolutely disastrous uh but then we made up for it with some batting practice against detroit it's easy to feel good right now uh when you come off a series against detroit and thankfully we do feel good coming off a series against detroit because if we didn't this is all over for this year (laughs) uh but yeah so let's uh we'll send the good vibes out let's hope we can at least split these six and you know in the dream world we come back on this podcast next week we knock them all out six and oh it's not gonna happen but I also didn't think I'd be in a movie with Jerry Seinfeld this week, and that went down. So uh, (laughs) thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week on Sharing Socks.